0: Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth.
1: Hi, and welcome to Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Given how much changes and is changing in the world of markets and personal finance, we don't have much of a schedule of topics for this podcast. But one tradition is a currency outlook. Relatively early in the year, we've tried to do February traditionally. It's become very popular and it's extremely useful. Sometimes currency can feel a touch abstract, but if you have any exposure to international markets, it's very, very relevant. Ray Attrill is the head of foreign exchange strategy for NAB and also one of the voices you may recognize from NAB Markets' extremely popular daily podcast, The Morning Call. He's joined us before to share his views on the outlook for the Aussie dollar and more. Ray, thanks so much for joining me.
0: Oh, thank you, Gemma. It's an absolute pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, it's always wonderful to have you. And my favourite thing about the morning call is that you have this array of accents, and so every time you can tune in and to hear another beautiful voice giving an update on what's happened in markets overnight.
0: I didn't know how much interest there was in in, in two poms rambling on about the shape of the United States and the shape of the yield curve.
1: <laughs> it's, there's Australia. a lot. Tens of thousands of people every morning tuning awesome. in to hear you guys. It's awesome. Ray, hasn't been a fabulous year for the Aussie dollar. Currency sort of feels a bit uh, perhaps not the driving issue at the moment, but can you talk us through what the drivers have been for what's happened to the Aussie and where we find ourselves at the moment?
0: Yeah, well, when you say it hasn't been a fabulous year, I suppose it depends on your perspective because... Going back to your intro, if you are holding um, for example, US equities, um, and you haven't done anything with the currency exposure, then you know, the weaker the Australian dollar is, you know, the more the the value of your your US shares in Australian dollar terms. So from that perspective, the, the weakness that we've seen in the last five or six weeks is is not necessarily bad news from a from an investor's point of view, but um but you're right it hasn't been a, a fabulous year from the point of view of you know what happened in the first sort of four weeks of the year the australian dollar against the us dollar rallied from uh, what about 68 cents all the way to close to 72 cents and then from the first week of february you know through to to last week um you know we've fallen from those highs. To below 66, the the weakest levels that we've seen in sort of five or six months, effectively. Um, And it's really been a story about um, the, the US economy and the economic data that's come out of the US, which are very, very different in February and early March from what we saw in January. And it's had a pretty profound impact on market thinking about what the US Federal Reserve. You know, is or isn't likely to do as far as U.S. interest rates are concerned, and it's had a big impact on U.S. dollar volatility. You know, almost the mirror image of which is is the performance of the Australian dollar. So, in January, it looked like the U.S. economy had fallen off a cliff, um, or the data that we had for December, at least. Um, the talk was very much of, of recession in the U.S. being imminent. The U.S. Federal Reserve pretty much being done as far as raising interest rates were concerned and markets increasingly expectant or, or you know, um, optimistic that the Fed would be cutting interest rates at the end of this year um, and well before anything that the Reserve Bank of Australia might be doing. Um, and the US dollar was under a lot of downward pressure. Fast forward to, I think it was the 2nd of February, and we had data out of the US particularly relating to the service sector, which is about 80% of the US economy, um, telling a completely opposite story, that the US economy was on fire. Um, the inflation news that we had later in the month was was uncomfortably strong. Um, and the market completely reversed its thinking about what that might mean for federal reserve interest rate policy and the u.s dollar came came roaring back and and alongside that we've also seen you know risk sentiment which is to which the australian dollar is extremely sensitive uh you know went from being sort of pretty positive from sort of october november december january um you know suddenly turned turtle and started heading down and um you know and the aussie dollar pretty much went with that so it was really a combination of you know, rising expectations for for how high interest rates would go in the US, deteriorating risk sentiment, both of which were sort of proven to be enemies of the Aussie dollar. And that's why we ended up uh, where we did say below 66 cents just last week.
1: Yeah, it's been incredible. 2023, the sort of whiplash sensation of an extraordinarily strong January for certainly equity markets where everyone got super excited and uh, the ASX and also the US markets had the, one of the best Januarys on record. And then in February, we all decided we were depressed mm-hmm. again. Uh, and ironically, we were excited in January because we thought there'd be a recession. And then by <laughs> February, we decided there was going to be terrible, terrible crisis coming because inflation was still hot. Really? It, uh, I was going to ask this question later, but given that we're going to be able to publish hopefully very quickly and markets are ablaze with the news of bank failures in mm-hmm. the U.S. How is that playing in? Do you want to talk through what's happened exactly so we can kind of tam- timestamp this a bit and then what the implications are, if there are any currency implications or if it's just the macro story just getting hotter?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, where are we? We're uh, we're on we're Tuesday now, and things are moving very fast. And on Thursday last week, no one had ever heard of Silicon Valley Bank, had they? Um, you know, and the news broke on Friday, and, and and the bank was was shut down on Sunday. So um, things are obviously moving very fast. But obviously, we've had you know news of a quite large i think it's the 15th largest bank in the united states and and one or two other lenders particularly that are very active in the cryptocurrency space um and it's obviously causing all sorts of sort of ructions in terms of you know oh is this a redux of of, of 2008 and the collapse of lehman brothers and um the federal reserve together with the u.s treasury and the federal deposit insurance corporation have acted pretty quickly sunday night in fact to try and provide a degree of confidence through assurances that depositors Know, whether they're you know, mums and pups with with less than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in uh, uh, in in the bank, but even larger investors, um, you know, are going to be made whole. So there's no risk to depositors' money, and that the you know that there is going to be ample liquidity provided to um, all of the banks effectively for up to one year, and to some extent this prevented. You know, a, a Lehman-style sort of. Banking sector collapse, which might have spread over to the broader equity markets. If you look outside of, of banking sector stocks, for example, on Monday, um, you know, the stock market generally has done pretty well. And the reason for that is that we've seen a dramatic shift in interest rate expectations. So if we look at the US bond market, for example, as the best sort of lead indicator of, of where the market expects the Fed to be going on interest rates, we've seen expectations of any further interest rate increases from the Fed pretty much evaporate overnight. Um, and there's even some um, one or two banks I've seen this morning thinking that the Fed might be cutting interest rates next week rather than raising them where the speculation had been are they going to go a quarter percent or might they up the pace of tightening to 50 basis points? So that story has almost evaporated and, and now the markets are running into next week thinking that um, you know the Fed may well pass on any interest rate increase. So the repricing of those expectations via what we've seen in the bond market has fed through to a significant weakening in the US dollar, which is not Normally, what do you expect? So you've got interest rates coming down, which other things equal, is a a negative for the US dollar and has actually supported the Australian dollar. But we've also had, you know, on net, this sort of, concerns or risk sentiment has taken a turn for the worse, which which typically is also is good news for the US dollar. So you've almost had these sort of competing forces. But I think the essential message, at least speaking as of you know uh, the early part of this week at least, is that the influence of US interest rates um, on currencies has been far and away the dominant influence. And I think that's been the case going all the way back to sort of the middle of 2021 when the Fed first signaled that, it was no longer convinced that inflation in the U.S was transitory and that they were going to have to start taking actions um you know the dollar has been you know resurgent if you like since that period and again in February when the U.S numbers were coming in hot and the market was having to reprice the Fed and now that we've seen such a rapid reversal of some of that rise in bond yields, is proving to be the dominant influence on the US dollar. And that I think is why, as I say, from, from trading below 66 cents last week, we've we've seen the Aussie dollar uh, as one of the best performing currencies so far this week. And it's up sort of one and a half, 2% um, off those lows. So for the moment, it's says that interest rate volatility is far and away the dominant influence.
1: Yeah, it's quite extraordinary. And it it is moving so quickly. You know, you'd want to talk, well, you know, when we talked about having this conversation and I'm thinking about the broader themes, I had not factored in, obviously, because as you say, none of us had heard of Silicon Valley Bank or if we had, it was to think it sounded a little bit like the name of a bank in a cartoon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's kind of, yeah, you know, it just wasn't top of mind. And then mm. suddenly it's the driving force behind a whole lot of change in sentiment. And then that change in sentiment is having massive real economy effects and so on. So it's it's an extraordinary time to be alive, let's be honest.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, and it's not the first shock, right? And I think it's, uh, you know, we'll perhaps come on to that in a second. But, you know, we didn't see the pandemic coming. Most people would have said Russia's never going to invade Ukraine, it's all posturing. Um, and now we've had, and nobody saw, you know, a a potential sort of Lehman style banking crisis. Not that I think that's, that's how this thing will play out. Um, you know, so effectively we've had, you know, we've had three, you know, shocks that have come completely out of left field, you know, in the space of, of, of what, three years effectively, right? It was March, 2020 when the pandemic struck, right? Which is almost three years to the day, isn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. It, uh, it feels like March is the time as well. You really want to keep an eye on March. It's, it's really the Ides of March. Right? The, the, the Ides part. of March. Everyone go back to your English history. Uh, no, your your English studies in high school, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Everyone did Julius Caesar, right? <laughs> <laughs> Where the Ides? I'm sure it sure
0: was for that lesson. I think it might have been somewhere else. But anyway. Which is like
1: the saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, apparently it's the 15th, the Ides. Well, maybe it's between the fifteenth and the twentieth. There's some, I believe, some. Uh,
0: That's tomorrow.
1: an it? argument. It, it's really it. soon. It's really soon. Let's worry about the odds. It happens every time. Uh, you may remember. Some may remember. In the GFC, the turning point for the market bottomed out on the 9th of March. There's something about March. That's it. Mm. So let's go back to the broader themes, and we'll see if we can tie all of these together. Although, as you say. These left field events, and one's always has to be quite call, careful about calling them black swans, but these really left field events that we do not have on our radar have been really throwing things around. But one of the events that's been flagged for some time, it was inevitable to a point, is China's reopening. Yeah. And for Australia, that has such significant impacts and effects. We know coming out of the GFC again, Australia did extraordinarily well post-GFC economically, if not on the stock market, thanks to China. Do you see reopening and commodities demands having a big effect on the Aussie dollar in the near to medium term?
0: Yes, indeed. And and the surprise to us is that the, the, the new or the evidence of um, China coming out of its zero COVID and how it's playing out economically certainly hasn't really shown up in the Australian dollar, which is pretty unusual. Because, as you rightly say, the linkages between you know the, the health or otherwise of the Chinese economy and Australia are uh, you know are undeniably strong, and also the link between the Chinese currency and the Australian dollar is, is remarkably strong obviously you could argue that well the US dollar is the common denominator but you know if you sort of Look at a sort of chart about how the Aussie dollar behaves relative to the performance of the Chinese currency against the US dollar. You do find there's a remarkably strong correlation. And we have been seeing the Chinese currency strengthening somewhat in the last sort of week or two. Um, but the economic evidence of a rebound is is, is really undeniably strong. We, we look a lot at things that are called purchasing managers surveys, almost so a lot of skepticism about the veracity of the official. Chinese economic numbers and their ability to, to print GDP numbers about half an hour after the quarter's ended, which inevitably, you know, invites some uh some skepticism, if you like, about how accurate they are. But the the purchasing manager surveys, which we get sort of a private sector survey as well as the official ones. Have been telling us that in January and February we've seen a, a dramatic rebound in activity in both sort of the manufacturing sector, but again more importantly in the service sector. So clearly, a lot of pent up demand that's been um, stifled, you know, during the zero lockdown is really showing up in the numbers. And you know, I think when President Xi sort of abandoned the zero COVID strategy in November, um, everyone was very fearful. That, that given relatively low vaccination rates, um, you know the proportion of the elderly that hadn't been vaccinated, um, you know whether or not the mRNA vaccines, which haven't been embraced in China, were going to mean that they were going to have far worse health outcomes than uh, than other Western economies that had that moved to that living with COVID state. Those fears have proved to be pretty unfounded, and and that sort of infection curve a wave post sort of unlocking have really been no worse than many other countries so you know and that's now shown up in in January and February numbers and we'll get some hard data out later this week I think that will corroborate the signals from those purchasing manager surveys um, telling us that um, there is a very very vigorous economic recovery underway now this recovery may not be nearly as sort of infrastructure intensive as as part sort of recoveries. And so that, you know, w- that may not have quite the impact on, on commodity prices, but uh but but on, on balance, you'd think that it's going to be supportive. But ironically going back to the Australian dollar, it really has been that sort of interplay between interest rates and interest rate differentials between Australia and the US and what's been happening with risk risk sentiment that have actually dominated a lot of the volatility in the Australian dollar. So um, whereas, you know, Hark back just a year or two, and you'd actually say commodity prices have been the biggest single driver of volatility in the Australian dollar, and that in turn has been a you know a direct um, you know reflection of, of, of the health or otherwise of the, of the Chinese economy. So it's been a little bit of an unusual situation, but um, you know if we're right that we are going to see you know strong economic growth in China, and I think the the five percent sort of growth forecast that uh, was, was um, presented at the National Party Congress uh, ten days so ago it disappointed some in the market our suspicion is it's probably a low ball estimate and that um that sort of growth rate will be readily achieved and, and if that is the case I think as we go through the year um we think it does play positively for the for the Chinese yuan. and if, if past is prologue um that should be reflected in in a stronger Australian dollar
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You've alluded to it already, but there has been a great deal of talk about weakness in the Chinese construction sector and not just weakness, but real concerns about viability of some of the companies in those sectors and so on, Uh, and also some weakness in the Chinese banking sector. Does any of that play into maybe some of the sort of subdued impact, do you think?
0: Um, possibly, I mean, certainly as I say, that you know, the the property sector has been under the, the the spotlight for for a couple of years now, hasn't it? Really, you know, since the. In the travails of, of Evergrande, one of the biggest property developers first came to light. And we've seen you know stories of you know um, Chinese households, you know, refusing to, to to meet sort of mortgage obligations on um where they've bought properties off the plan that they're now concerns about whether they're actually going to be completed. But it does look like quite a lot of of, of support has been has been wheeled into place in the last sort of six, nine months or so. We've started to see house prices have stopped falling, at least based on the official numbers. So um There does seem to be some sort of stabilisation that's emerging there. It doesn't mean that we're heading for another construction boom, at least anyway, but I think that perhaps the worst of the, you know, the rot has been stopped at least anyway. Um, And so uh, at least I think that removes one potential sort of downward or negative link, if you like, from China back to Australia in terms of what it means for, for commodity demand and prices. So um, at the moment, I would probably see it as more of a, a sort of more neutral influence, But if uh, and, and that the recovery is going to be more of a consumer-driven affair than perhaps we've seen in sort of past recoveries at least. So in that sense, maybe the linkages aren't, back to Australia aren't quite as strong, but a lot depends on, you know, what happens with, with the Chinese currency. And if weaker US dollar does unfold, which is still our best guess for how the year unfolds. And that is fully reflected in a willingness of the Chinese authorities to see their currency strengthened. Then um, a stronger Aussie dollar, you know, certainly up into that sort of 75 cent plus range would be, you know, would not be an unreasonable forecast based on that past relationship.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. I think there'd be a lot of people pricking up their ears uh when you start to put specific numbers in play. Uh
0: I'll do the caveats to that shortly. Before we <laughs> to carry on.
1: <laughs> well, the, the next question was going to be: We're seeing, as you say, a fairly dramatic turnaround in sentiment in the US. The economy was looking super hot, you know, uh, non-farm payrolls still really, really strong. Yes, the unemployment rates ticked up a tiny bit, but there's a lot of jobs out there. Services sector is looking really strong. We're concerned that rates are going to keep hiking. We've now hiked our expectations of the terminal rate. A couple of banks go under, we've changed our minds, everything's terrible again. We've uh, moderated our expectations and then think maybe there may be a cut. Has there been much impact with that little roller coaster in the space of a couple of weeks on rate expectations in Australia, have we seen any kind of meaningful shift? And then is that having an impact on the dollar?
0: We haven't really to date, although um, obviously at the last um, you know, RBA meeting, the language that was used in, in Governor Lowe's statement has sort of put the market on notice that um I know that the further rate rises are not necessarily baked in the cake, even though you know the RBA's central view is that, you know, some further tightening of monetary policies is likely, but certainly they've opened up the possibility of a pause. And you'd have to say that the developments in the last 72 hours certainly increase the probability of saying, well, what is the what is the cost of just sitting back and, and waiting for, for a month or two? So so we have seen market pricing. For the RBA actually come down quite significantly. In fact, if I look at the next at that market pricing for the next two meetings, so the April and May one, collectively, then they haven't even got one 25 basis point increase fully priced in. So in that sense, yes. But from a currency point of view, look at what's happened to the US. So going back to this, the weakness of the Aussie dollar in February, if I look at how pricing for the US Federal Reserve had moved relative to the rba it had actually moved by far more than than half a percent or 50 basis points in favor of the u.s and i think that was a big part of the story so um you know as things stand we've got a, a significant kind of compression in that interest rate differential where the u.s rates are no longer sitting as much above australian equivalent rates as they were just two or three days ago and i think that has you know pretty profound implications. If that trend proves to be justified and perhaps the Fed is actually done raising interest rates, then that would give us a lot of confidence that as we go through the year, you know, US dollar weakness that was the feature of, of sort of December and January, you is going to resume. And, and certainly as we you know, going back to the beginning and talking about the interplay of, of risk sentiment and interest rates, it, it clearly, it just as the interest rates were the biggest driver of, of most of the last couple of years. You know, we have to wait and see. The messaging from the Fed next week may well be, look, we're stopping for this meeting, but we still expect to raise interest rates several times in the coming months. The question is whether the market will believe them or not. At the moment, I think the market's quite prepared to believe the Fed is done. It's not prepared to believe that the RBA is necessarily done. So um, you know, for the time being, that 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 sort of plays somewhat supportive for the Australian dollar. But, um, but the short answer to your question is yes, we've seen a little bit of moderation in um, pricing for further RBA hikes, but not nearly as much as the US.
1: That's really interesting, and as you say, it's changing very rapidly at the moment. You've made a forecast, and you're going to talk through the caveats to that. Do you want to give us an idea of what the major risks are to your outlook?
0: Well, who was it? It was we we're talking about uh, a British education. It was Harold Macmillan, wasn't it? Who was the, uh, the British Prime Minister in the early 20th century? Who asked what the most the most challenging feature of being Prime Minister was, and he said, events, dear boy, events. And as we said, we've had three big sort of shocks, if you like, that have come out of left field. And I think that, you know... One of the messages that uh, you know I'd like to impart is sort of the need for humility in, in forecasting. Anyone who tells you that you know they've got a nailed on, super confident view of where Aussie dollar is going to be in 12 months time, then I've, I've got a bridge to sell you. But um, um, so I think it's, you know, the, the risks are that um, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the Aussie dollar is the most risk sensitive of any of the major currencies. So if anything transpires that we can't see coming around the corner, or the so-called Unknowns, unknowns, I think, wasn't it as Donald Rumsfeld used to talk about? Um, There's always going to be a risk to a positive view of the Australian dollar. So that is, you know, I guess is, you know, is one of the caveats. And then, you know, Going back, talking about what's happening at the moment and the risks of whether or not we're going to see a so-called soft landing, whether that's possible or a much harder landing where inflation doesn't come to heel, central banks continue to, to crank up interest rates once we've got through this current sort of hopefully temporary shock. Um, you know, the more interest rates are, are seen to be rising, the more that seemed to increase the risks of a, of a hard landing. So it's in that sort of good news is bad news kind of story. The stronger the economies look, the more central banks are expected to raise interest rates, the more we worry about a hard landing. Um, and under a hard landing scenario, it, it's it's not clear that the Australian dollar would, would, would fare well. Because, you know, if that's going to bring further weakness in in global equity markets, um, you know, traditionally the um, the Australian dollar or or the US dollar has only kind of, or equity markets have only found their flaw when we're right in the middle of a recession and, you know, whatever the current state of, of, of economic data Um, It's certainly saying the US is not in recession as of today. So, if if it's the case that we're heading for a sort of a hard landing scenario and equity markets are going to have to respond to that negatively, then that's probably where the biggest downside risk lies. Just at the moment, to an otherwise constructive Aussie dollar view.
1: Yeah, it's been quite extraordinary. I talk to professionals day in and day out who feel that equity markets, in particular, have priced in the full Goldilocks scenario, right, that we somehow get back Mm -hmm. to a target band of inflation within 18 months without a horrendous recession, which seems extremely optimistic, but you never know. These things do happen maybe upon occasion, maybe not in recent memory.
0: (laughs) Yes, I mean, I would say on that that certainly a lot of the lead indicators – US inflation that we follow, and they're probably a little bit too arcane um, to go through in detail on this podcast, are you know, giving us reason to think that you know inflation is going to fall and fall potentially faster than the Federal Reserve itself expects as far as sort of second half of this year and into 2024. So, you know, talking about, you know, we still think there's a chance that the US can pull off a soft landing. But again, I'm speaking about how we were seeing the world. 72 hours ago and obviously depending on how this current sort of banking sector turmoil resolves itself or otherwise that there's obviously a risk there but um, but it's certainly certainly possible to think that uh, you know inflation is going to fall away quite quickly Um, and obviously in the US you know. The numbers that we had last week do suggest that maybe unemployment is just starting to creep a little bit higher but you know hard landing probably means an unemployment rate going from you know three and a half percent to north of five percent at least and uh, at the moment that looks to be you know, too pessimistic a view of the world so um let's not give up completely on the on the so-called soft landing scenario which i do think you know to the extent that that would consolidate the markets thinking that the fed in particular will be able to take its foot off the brake you know, maybe as early as late this year, that certainly is a key driver of our weaker US dollar and with that stronger Australian dollar view.
1: There will be many, many people who hope you're correct about that. I <laughs> think Very, very hopeful indeed. Coming to a close... As an individual, very complex scenario at the moment, complex scenario all the time, but it's been quite an extraordinary start to the year. People's sentiment is changing quite quickly and events, dear boy, are also jumping in okay. there to uh, to affect sentiment when it appears to have settles. What do you see as the key currency issues that investors should be keeping an eye on? What do you think they should be uh, with the exception of extraordinary events? Obviously it makes that mm-hmm. a bit difficult, but what, what do you think people should be looking for?
0: Well I think one thing to be aware of is that currency volatility and you know as we said at the beginning if you're you know an international investor um with effectively currency exposure you know you need to be cognizant of that but but certainly 2022 was a year of higher than average volatility in currencies and the I'm talking about the Aussie dollar against the US dollar specifically and 2023 so far just looking at January and February were also high volatility month so to put that in perspective um i think that the high low range on the australian dollar last year was almost 15 cents which is a few cents higher than average and in january the uh, the low to high was four and a half cents which is about seven percent so think about that seven percent move in the currency upwards in january if you had no protection against that would have actually hurt the value of a a u.s equity shareholding for example by seven percent on the month that's a big move, um, and the move in February was 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 equally the other way. Okay, so four and a half cent moves in a month, which is seven percent, are very big moves by historical standards. And I do think we've moved into a you know what's going to be a higher volatility environment for currencies that could be with us for a long time to come. So it just means that you know maybe I'm talking my book as the uh, as an FX, uh strategist, but um, you know I do think that it means you have to, that the investors have to be much more cognizant. Of currency risk and how that impacts on their portfolios than than perhaps has been the case for uh, for years past.
1: I think you're absolutely correct, and we do find certainly with newer and less experienced investors, the currency impact can come as a bit of a nasty shock. Sometimes you know they're excited about investing offshore and not contemplating that. Just a simple qual or quant analysis of the company may not be enough. There'll be very, other, very significant other drivers of the return that they get. I've never asked you this question before, and I'm going to ask it now. Uh, NAB obviously offers ways that investors and particularly business people can protect themselves uh, against sort of adverse moves in the currency. How do you do that?
0: Well, as a as a as a currency analyst, I don't I don't trade currencies, but I think it potentially impacts our objectivity in that sense, basically. But obviously, at the NAB, we you know we have a lot of sophisticated institutional, you know, as well as big big top end of town corporates, and they're very actively involved in. In hedging exposures where they want to, so uh, there are an array of, of instruments that are that are available to do that, and uh, you know, and it's good to see that for the most part. And whether they're superannuation funds or whether they're you know they're large sort of exporter or importer clients, that they, they take a very active interest in uh, in managing that currency exposure.
1: Oh, that's funny! I like that you gave a personal answer as well as a. <laughs> brought a nav answer. That's really good. And the final question I'm going to ask you, because I asked it a couple of years ago and I loved the answer. Cryptocurrencies. We have heard so much talk over the last few years about the value of digital currencies uh, to, I guess, hedge against some of the limitations of fiat currency. You had some really strong views on that. Have they changed at all?
0: Um, Well, I I thought you might ask me this. So I was just reminding myself when we last spoke, and it was almost two years to the day, wasn't it? And uh, I think I made a a somewhat flippant remark about my long-term price objective for Bitcoin being zero. Um, And at the time, we were trading at around $40,000. And if I look at it today, we're trading at $20,000. So we're not quite there, but it's not a bad trade if you'd put it on, going short of Bitcoin. But to me, um, my views haven't changed in the sense that I think I said back then that whatever cryptocurrencies were, they weren't money, okay? And I saw, you know, always viewed them as sort of highly speculative assets, and I think the big message of the last couple of years has sort of really corroborated that view because we've seen a huge volatility. But the important thing is that volatility has been very highly correlated with other so-called risky assets. So if I wanted a single... Um, you know, instrument that I would correlate um, crypto with, it would probably be the NASDAQ. So it's become almost like a very high beta asset, but it's moving for the most part in the same direction as risk assets generally. So it doesn't provide... The diversification properties that I think some sort of perhaps sophisticated sort of asset and portfolio managers were, were thinking, at least anyway. So um, you know, as a as a as a purely speculative asset, it's, it's clearly sort of proved it's metal, if you like. But um, as a diversifier or as a sort of an alternative to uh, existing fiat currencies, I, you know, my views certainly haven't been haven't changed, and I think if anything, they probably they've probably been strengthened by events of the last couple of years.
1: You were kind enough not to mention the uh, the failure of some of the larger trading platforms also, which have had fairly significant impacts.
0: No, absolutely. So I think it's probably just highlighted that, that uh, you know, there's a risk element, but then you could turn around and say exactly the same thing of equities in light of what's happened to the, uh, the share prices of a few banks in the last couple of days, couldn't you?
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and there's a risk that, frankly, just your deposits weren't going to be safe, depending absolutely. on the amount you had in there. It's uh, There's risk with everything. Ray, you and your team produce fantastic insights. Anyone who listens knows that we're just massive fans of the Morning Call podcast and you have just an extraordinary array of research tools and papers that come out really frequently. They cover an extraordinary range of topics, deep, super high qualified team. Where do people go to get your stuff?
0: Well, hopefully, if you're, a, if you're a Nab customer listening to this, we can you can make yourself uh, you can avail yourself of some of that research. Um, I'm going to give you a very convoluted email address. So I'll speak it slowly. It's nab.global.markets.research at nab.com.au.
1: Can I just interject there and go, if you would like it, why don't you just email at nab.com.au which is quicker and shorter, and we will send you in the right direction. Is that a better option?
0: It probably is, actually. I mean, as I say, <laughs> certainly for... Uh, you know, for NAP, uh, private clients, et cetera. I'm sure we can do something to help you out in that regard. And you know, thank you again for the plug for the morning call. So, you know, again, wherever you get your podcast, whether it's uh, the, the, the Apple podcast app or Spotify, et cetera, then uh, just searching the morning call should uh, should bring that up.
1: Yeah, it's everybody's favourite overnight report, and you guys do an incredible job of putting super high quality information in people's hands nice and early in the morning. So we're all set up for our day. Ray Atrell, thanks so much for joining me.
0: It's my pleasure. Thanks, Gemma.
1: As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast and for joining us again. We hope it's helpful. We love hearing from you guys. We got requests for a currency podcast. So this is not something that comes out of nowhere. Uh, we get fabulous uh, feedback and requests for future topics. Please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. We read those emails and we do look forward to bringing future topics to you. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances
1: or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.